Well, we are on a series started last week on the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount is the manifesto of Jesus with, with which he starts his ministry. And it really lays out how we do kingdom living as disciples of Jesus. Um, Jesus gave this sermon. It's, it's Matthew 5 through most of Matthew 7. Uh, he gave it to a lot of people who were just following him, had come far and wide. Um, we're listening to his teaching. We're amazed by the authority with which he brought the teaching and by the signs and wonders that were following Jesus. So that's where we are. Last week, we talked about what Jesus meant when he said, blessed, makarios, blessed are you. Um, if you find yourself in one of these situations uh, in, in which the beatitude display, the beatitudes display, and, and really the beatitudes, as we talked about last week and are talking about in Bible class, they're really something we're becoming as followers of Jesus. We see these elements in our lives more and more. It's not something that's, hey, if you want to be a disciple of Jesus, uh, follow these terms and, and you're in. No, it, it's a work that God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit do in us and through us as we become disciples and more like him. Now, I just wanted to say a very special thank you to some of you last week, um, I, I told a story, and if you missed it, I'm sorry, you can go back and listen. I told a story about me and my brother in speech class and how we ca- counted one another's ums. And I just want to thank you to all of you who came and reported how many ums I had after my sermon last week. Um, I, I, um. Now you guys can't unhear it, and I'm going to have to learn how not to say it. Someone told me 105, and I believe it, so... I should tell stories like that at the end of sermons, uh, but that's, um, gosh, I'm going to hear it every time. All right, help me, Lord. This week, we're going to go on to the next, I don't even know how to talk without saying, um, <laughs> golly, all right, we can do this. This week, we're going on to the next part of Jesus' teaching. So, so the Beatitudes are Matthew 5, 1 through 12. And we're going to look at Matthew 5, 13 through 16. And let's just begin by reading it. If you've got your Bibles, open up there. You're going to uh, be enriched by this, by this text. Jesus said, You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. He goes on, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Jesus says, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works And glorify your Father who is in heaven. So as Jesus describes what kingdom living looks like, what life for his disciples will look like, he he goes out of the Beatitudes and he goes to these two you are statements. He says, you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. He didn't say you will be. He didn't say, you must earnestly seek to be with all your strength. He didn't say, I command you to be. He said, you are. You are the salt of the earth, 
and you are the light of the world. That's an important distinction. If Jesus is talking to these people who are following him, these are men and women becoming disciples. And they are something. It is an identity. It's more than just a command. It's, it's, it's who they are created to be. And indeed, they are there. It's like what uh, Glenn taught this morning if you were in Bible class. Glenn talked about how sometimes it, it, God works in yes and. Actually, I think Glenn said most of the time or always God works in yes and. You both are the salt, you are the light, and you're going to become more salt and more light. Now, these two illustrations Jesus uses, salt and light, we're going to just talk through those today, look at them, reflect on them. And, uh, uh, ooh, that's better than um. Gosh, I'm so distracted. Okay. <laughs> I, I want to pause here because these verses are things that if, if you have been in church for a long time, uh, you have heard these verses where Jesus said, you're the salt of the earth and the light of the world. I want to pause here. One of the great risks of church life is that we would hear a verse, hear something that Jesus said, and, and there would be something in our mind that would be say, that, that would say, oh yeah, I got that. Like, I, I understand that one. I'm not saying that I'm going to reinvent the wheel for anyone today, but I just want to pause uh, and, and pray that as we hear a familiar v- verse and passage of Jesus, that we wouldn't uh, be stale and say, oh, I've got that, but that we would just open our hearts for the Lord to do something new. So, Lord, would you help us, uh, as, as many of us have heard these verses time and time again, heard many teachings on these passages, Lord, would you help us to have open hearts, ears that are ready to hear your voice and receive the truth you have for us, Lord, uh, There's nothing new in what you taught, but there is new things in our perspective that we can learn from, grow in, and will change our lives if we allow them. So Lord, would you help us in that way? So salt, Matthew 5, 13, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Salt gets a bit of a bad rap these days. Um, if you have a diet that has too much salt in it, it's not good. People like to call one another on that, I have learned. If I put too much salt on my food, sometimes I hear about it. Additionally, uh, if you're a young person and someone calls you salty, that is not a compliment. If you are called salty, not a compliment. It gets a, a bit of a bad rap, but historically, it's, it's important to understand in the context of Jesus what salt really was. If you lived in Jesus' time, I suppose calling someone salty might be a bit of a compliment, actually, uh, because salt was very valuable in ancient history. Up until actually just uh, the about a century ago, when the refrigerator and freezer were invented and people started getting them in their homes, before that, if you wanted your meat to be preserved, you had an option. It was salt. Salt was very valuable. Additionally, because it was so valuable and it tastes so good, um, it, salt actually historically in, in many cultures have been, has been used as a currency. Just like we would use the American dollar, salt was used as a currency. Uh, and uh, Roman soldiers actually, part of their pay would be in salt. They would receive some finances and salt. That's what they got. It was that valuable. 
The Romans called it white gold. Very valuable. Actually, this, this salt portion of pay, I thought this was so interesting. It doesn't pertain that much to my message. Um, they would call that a solarium. Solarium. Does anyone recognize a piece of that word? The, the root word that we got salary from ties to solarium. It was like a form of pay. So when you get your salary, when that hits your bank, think of salt. Uh, it, that's, that's what the Romans would be paying their employees by and, and their soldiers. Why was it so valuable? Well, it, it served a, cru- a crucial preservative function. If you, if you slaughtered a cow, if, if you slaughtered any kind of meat, you had fish, and you didn't eat it all in one setting, you needed salt. If you were going to be able to enjoy that, travel with it, transport it, you needed salt. It was crucial. And it wasn't as easy to get all over the world. So there was a supply and demand going on there. So it was very valuable. Uh, It's less valuable to us now, but actually, in the way that I think Jesus is talking about salt in Matthew chapter 5, I actually think it links very well to, to how we view salt. Um, Jesus didn't say, you are the salt of the earth, so you are very valuable. Although he could be implying that, that could be true. Many have preached it that way. Jesus actually talks about uh, the flavor of salt. So it seems like he is talking about it in the sense that we still enjoy salt today. He said, uh, this is the way he said it, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? So I think Jesus is actually talking about the enhancement of the flavor that salt brings. So, so going back, Jesus is, is using a present example that was of very high value to people. People understood salt was very valuable, and he was illustrating life in God's kingdom. Here's what's amazing about salt. When salt is used appropriately, it enhances flavor. Now, most of us on our table, we've got two things, salt and pepper. Pepper changes the flavor. Salt enhances. Salt improves the flavor. Uh, it's, it's not something that changes. It's not meant to change. It's just meant to bring it forward and, and make things delightful. Now, when I, was, uh, when I was visiting, before I moved here, before um, many of you knew me, I had visited uh, once or twice with the Nakamas family, and I was trying to uh, get around Olivia, my wife, and get to know her, get to know her family. Uh, we were visiting one time, and we went to, do you guys remember in Marshall, there was that uh, restaurant called Four Seas? They were kind of a victim to COVID. They didn't make it through for very long, but there was this restaurant Four Seas, and you could go and get... Um, all kinds of Asian dishes, sushi and such. We went there and the whole family was there. And Oakley had this habit, and I asked him if I could share this story. He had this habit of where he would order a wonderful dish. This night it was lo mein. And he would just go crazy with the soy sauce. Anyone ever had a kid that did this? And just loaded it with soy sauce. And everyone was like, Oakley, stop. You're not going to want it. You're not going to want it. Uh, but he just kept going. He's like, no, I want this. I want this salty flavor. He just absolutely dumps it onto his lo mein. And uh, unexpectedly, once he started eating it, he couldn't take it. It was way too salty. Do you guys remember this? Just way too salty. So his parents, like good parents, were trying to teach him a lesson and say, Oakley, we're not leaving until you eat that. Like you just, <laughs> you wasted that whole dish. And and uh, why am I telling this story? 
This is not the kind of salting that Jesus was talking about. Jesus wasn't saying, uh, take everything in your life and just load it with salt. Be the salt of the earth, just load it. No, that is, when you use salt that way, it is repulsive. Key observation here, and in an interesting way, um, I'm going to keep playing on that example at Four Seas and at Lomain, but uh, Jesus is Jesus is stating the value. This is the observation. The value of what is brought to the earth by those who are in the kingdom of God. Uh, disciples of Jesus should emphasize the goodness of God, the greatness of God, as we sang this morning, in everything on earth and in every way we engage the world. When Christians, followers of Jesus, enter the world, victory, we should be enhancing things. Salt brings forth the goodness of what is already there. When we step into the workplace, into our homes, into our neighborhoods, the grocery store, man, things should be made better by our presence. That's how we're the salt of the earth. Uh, Eugene Peterson paraphrased in the, in the Message Bible this way, and, and I and occasionally enjoy reading it because it, it gives me an interesting perspective that's so practical. In Matthew 5.13, he put it this way, Jesus saying, let me tell you who you are. You're here to be salt seasoning that brings out God flavors in this earth. If you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? You've lost your usefulness and will end up in the garbage. Interesting question came to my mind this week as I was studying this, thinking about how do we how do we be the salt of the earth? What does this look like? I'm wondering this question, where in scripture did we ever get the idea that the pinnacle of our life rhythm in God is attendance here Sunday morning in church? I mean, where did we get this idea that, man, as a Christian, the top thing I'm going to do, the top behavior the, the peak of the week as a Christian is going to be church. Where do we get it? I don't find that in Scripture. I just looked through the New Testament. I don't see it in there that this is the top thing that Jesus had us to seek after. Now, don't get me wrong. The writer of Hebrews was clear. Don't give up gathering together as some are in the habit of doing. So church is important. We wouldn't be here if it weren't important. We really believe that. But here's the idea that crossed my mind. What if our gathering together here on Sunday was actually meant to be secondary? Not non-existent, but secondary to how we are salt on the other six days of the week, wherever we are. What if we were meant primarily to be salt, to be light? Not here on Sunday, but out in the workplace, in our neighborhoods, in our schools, waiting to pick up your kids at a basketball practice with other parents, uh, in the grocery store, wherever you find yourself, in the barbershop, Larry. That's where we are primarily called to be as Christians, to be salt, to be light. Here's the great flaw of the church. When we make Sunday attendance the pinnacle, the top, I would propose to you that even as we're saying, we're the salt of the world, we're the salt of the world, we are salt, but we are creating Oakley's low main dish. We are dumping the salt all in one place. No wonder 
No wonder. And, and I'm not talking down on victory. This is the church. This is the American church everywhere. No wonder when we bring people to church, especially young people right now, I'm telling you, this is so true for young people. They come and they get a taste of church, see other people they know, and they see a saltiness that's so high on Sunday that they taste that low main dish. It is so salty. It's repulsive because they see our behavior every other day of the week and it doesn't line up. We take a week's work worth of salt and dump it on a Sunday. It's not meant to be that way, Victory. Amen? It's not meant to be that way. We're meant to be salt Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Sunday is where we come together and we do some unity and we get refueled. But man, if we're just creating one low main dish that's got a week worth of salt on it, that is going to be so repulsive to the world. Don't get me wrong. When God's glory is heavy on this place, it's different. It is different. But when people see something inconsistent in our lives, where we bring some form of salt, the salt God gave us on a Sunday, and it's different than the other time, I'm telling you, they're going to spit it out like Oakley spit out that low main at four C's. So what do we do? What do we do? Let's move on. We'll come back to that. So there's salt, Jesus talks about, and then there's light. Salt, light. Two very different things, except that both are essential to life. Matthew five fourteen through 16, he goes on. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good weeks, uh, good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So Jesus, just like he said, you are salt. He says, you are light. So there's good news. As we follow Jesus, in some way, we got light. We got it. It's not something we're striving after, striving after, striving after. We'll grow but we've already got the light in us. That is good news. Keep in mind, Jesus is talking to a bunch of people who didn't see themselves as worthy of religion. Whoops. They didn't see themselves as worthy. So for Jesus to say, you are the light of the world, this would have been earth shattering for these people's hearts and their souls as they realize I have great value in the kingdom of God. So Jesus, just like he talks about not wasting salt, he says, don't waste your light. No one would take a light and and hide it. Why would you have a light on and hide it? The whole point of the light being there is that others can see it. He talks about a city on a hill that can't be hidden. And when a city is high enough, no matter where you are from any direction, you're going to be able to see it. You're going to be able to see it. Jesus is saying to his followers to the people coming along with him you you won't be able to hide the light that's inside of you there is a light if if you've got it you're not going to be able to hide it people will see the light Uh, 
most of us have have heard this and know this as maybe if you grew up in a Christian family, maybe this was one of the first songs you ever ever learned. And we just taught it to Elie, three years old. The this little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. We we bring this into the church and we say this is important because it is. We've got a light. We've gotta let it shine. Jesus it, it puts an interesting note in this though. In Matthew 5, um, 16, it says, Let your light shine before men, and New American Standard says it this way, in such a way that they may see your good works and praise your Father in heaven. And I was interested this week as I was studying, what, what is that in such a way supposed to mean that's in there? And I started reflecting on, how Jesus talked about light in other, in other spots and what it, what it meant for Jesus to be a light. How did he go about shining the light that was in him? It, it brought me to another, another place where Jesus talked about light. And it's, uh, it's in John eight twelve. Jesus said this. Uh, Jesus then spoke again to them saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So Jesus didn't just say, you're a light. He said, I'm the light of the world. So what did he mean in such a way? How did Jesus do this? Has has anyone ever had one of those little flashlights in your house and been raising toddlers? Or maybe this is a better question. Have you ever been around a toddler that has a flashlight? So recently, um, our one-year-old, Edison, we had a little flashlight. He loves this thing. Anytime it's out, he will play with it for hours. But the first thing he does, what is the first thing a toddler does when they're holding a flashlight? Okay, are you guys, it's not your question. Somebody tell me, what do they do? Shine it in the eyes. Shine it in eyes. Their sibling, their own eyes for a second, not very long, or your eyes, which is my favorite part. It is honestly painful. It's annoying. It's repulsive. I, I can't stand it when he's got the flashlight. I've got to stay away from him because he will come and put it right in my eyes. and said, Daddy, look, he's so proud. Here's the thing. Sometimes with the light we have as Christians, unfortunately, we take our light and we go to others who don't know Jesus and we go like a toddler and we just shine the light right in their eyes. And we think, boy, am I being good salt and light? I am showing the light of Jesus. And we just put it right in people's eyes and it blinds them. Did you know that that's actually a really immature way of handling our light? To just shine it right into people's eyes. Jesus didn't shine his light that way. Jesus didn't shine his light that way. So how did Jesus do it? Jesus did it a lot like what the psalmist wrote in Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Or Psalm 23, you may be familiar. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake doesn't sound quite as annoying as a flashlight in your eyes, does it? 
to be led or guided, to have a light at your feet. See, Jesus didn't shine light in the eyes. Jesus shone his light in front of people's feet and showed them a better way. Here's what's so interesting. As I was looking at John 8, 12, where Jesus says, I am the light of the world. I, I had John 8 open and I went backwards a little bit. I was like, what was the context of, when, of what Jesus was talking about when he said, I am the light of the world? I was blown away. I had never, believe it or not, uh, I had never noticed this before. I don't know how I could read through my Bible and read, I am the light of the world, and not look at what was going around, going on around Jesus when he said that. Let's look at John 8. Look at it from the very beginning. See what was going on when Jesus said it. John 8, 1. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again into the temple, and all the people were coming to him. And he sat down and began to teach them. So Jesus was at the temple. He was teaching. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery, caught in the act. And and they set her in the center of the court, and they said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman has been caught in adultery in the very act. Now the law of Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. What do you say? So these religious leaders, they were trying to bring a test to Jesus, to trap him in his words, to find out what he would do with this truth in the law that had come from Moses, that, that, they, that they perceived to be the truth, to say, you've got to stone this woman if she's caught in the act. Jesus found a better way to handle this. As, as they were saying this, testing him so they may have grounds of accusing him, Jesus stood down and with his finger wrote something on the ground. But when they persisted in asking him, they asked him again and again. They were pressing him. Jesus straightened up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Wow. Again, he stooped down and wrote in the ground. When they heard it, they began to go out one by one, beginning with the older ones. They dropped their stones, and these religious leaders started walking away. Jesus straightened up, said to, the, said to her, Woman, where are they? Where are those religious leaders that came to accuse you? Did no one condemn you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, I do not condemn you either. Go, from now on, sin no more. I always thought the story ended there. All those people left, they dropped their stones and walked away. Interesting though, Jesus had something more to say to whoever the crowd was still standing there. In a moment where the Pharisees thought, Jesus is, I can't believe this. Jesus is letting her sin, her adultery be permissible. She's going to get off the hook. Jesus is saying sin is okay. That's what those guys walked away thinking in their heart. That's not what Jesus was saying. This is what Jesus again spoke to them. The people standing around and said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. 
See, in the moment, listen to this. This is the most important part of this sermon today. In the moment that that sincere religious people brought the law to someone caught in sin, and they shone their light in her eyes, they said, this woman should be stoned. They took the law, they took the light, whatever light they had, and they shone it right in her eyes. Jesus said, I'm going to show the light in front of her feet. He said, I'm the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness. See, when we have the chance to interact with the world and we see sin and terrible things around us, we want to put that light in their eyes. And folks, it blinds them. It blinds them to the light of Jesus at their feet that would like to show them how to walk free. Is this making sense? Is this making sense? Jesus said, he who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. That same light of life Jesus is talking about, I believe it's the light he's saying, that he's saying we've got in Matthew 5. You are the light of the world. We're going to close. Worship team, you can come on up. We'll close with a song. So, so our application today is not in the question of, are you salt? Church, are you salt? That's not the application. Are you light? That's not what we're doing. Our application is, with the salt you have, how are you sharing it? With the light that's in you, how are you shining it? Jesus called us to a better way. Let's stand together as we get ready to worship. A couple practical ways we can be salt and light. And a few of these I've reflected on. Don't, number one, don't oversalt Sunday. <laughs> don't oversalt Sunday. Live as real, true followers of Jesus wherever you are. Number two, when others taste that salt, that enriching thing that you're bringing to the world as a follower of Jesus, don't take the light that's in you and shine it in their eyes. What does that look like? Man, you're, you're talking to somebody and, and you realize they're in sin, they're caught in sin. Are you going to come and speak words of condemnation to them? Or are you going to shine the light at their feet? I imagine maybe maybe you find yourself uh, with a friend waiting to pick up your kids from sports practice and they talk about what they're going through and how hard it is. And, and you can see, man, the reason it's hard for you is because you have sin in your life. You can say, you know, the reason it's hard for you is because you have sin in your life if you want to. That'll shine the light right in their eyes. Or you can tell them, you know, one time I was in a similar place. And I couldn't understand why it was so difficult to get out. But then I found Jesus. And he showed me a better way. See, that's how we shine our light as Jesus did. So Jesus, we thank you for your teaching. Thank you that you are a good teacher. Jesus, thank you that we are the salt of the earth. We are 
the light of the world. Jesus, we reflect your light. Lord, we thank you it's not something we've got to strive for, but you've given it to us by your grace. Lord, I ask that we would be good stewards of the salt with which you give us. Father, each of us as we go out of this place today, would, would that salt touch each area of our life, whether it's in our workplace, whether it's as moms raise their kids staying at home, whether it's where we volunteer, where we serve. Lord, would our salt enhance, would our lives enhance the flavor of the goodness of God around us? Lord, as people see that, as they see the goodness of God in our lives and the way that we bring him in, Lord, would we steward the light well? Lord, I pray in a, in a I'm just uh, thinking at the moment about how we're in an election year and what opportunity there will be. When we see things of sin all around us in our nation, how will we engage? How will we take that light of Jesus? Will we shine it in their eyes, the people who don't know Jesus? Will we try to blind them with truth? Or will we show Jesus' walk? The, the light that led our feet to him. Jesus, we ask that you would give us your grace, your wisdom, and your power to be the salt of the earth and to be the light of the world. Lord, we thank you and ask that as we sing, Lord, would you show us how we can do that in our lives, wherever we are. Would you show us how to be the salt, how to be the light. And Lord, would good fruit come from our lives.
this week let's be the salt let's be the light jesus said you are the light of the world so let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your father who's in heaven lord we thank you that you are the light of the world that we reflect your light we reflect your image to those we interact with to those we know lord would you help us to be the light Help us to bring your goodness into the earth, that you would be glorified, honored, and magnified in our lives. Jesus, we thank you for this Victory family. Thank you for this uh, hour, hour and a half together that we have. Jesus, we ask that you would bind us together in love. Make us a unified body. Make us one. That, Lord, we would uh, have an impact that is immeasurable on our communities in Southwest Minnesota. Jesus, we thank you that we are your light. As we go, would you help us to shine? Help us to shine, Jesus. And it's in your name that all God's people say, amen. Have a wonderful week. Be the light. We will see you guys next week.